Brian. Brian is the International Prayer Director for 24-7 Prayer. Brian, if you, he's great to follow on Instagram if you love the sort of feeling of like, oh, I wish I lived someone else's life. Sometimes Brian is a really good guy to follow for that. We know that he's just got back from Australia a couple of weeks ago with Tracy. And uh, Brian is someone who has really encouraged us for a long time as Proximity Church. And so, Brian, I'd like to thank you for coming to be with us today and sharing. Uh, we really love to hear what you have to say always. And I'm going to pray for you. And then we'll just hand over to you. Yeah, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We thank you that as we try and walk closer into what you have for us, as we try and press more into who you are, that you are so impressing yourselves on us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence. I pray that you'd give us an awareness of you in this room now. Pray that our, you'd open the eyes of our heart for revelation of you today. We would see you and know you more because we've been in this room together, because we've listened to Brian. I pray for Brian, Lord, that you would strengthen him. We take what Ian taught us about the Holy Spirit emboldening us and encouraging us, and I pray that you would do that for Brian this morning, strengthen him, that he would be able to teach and, and speak on, on what you're telling him. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. Excellent. I don't know about you, but if it's further away, I can, I'm at that age where I can see it now, which is what... <laughs> much better uh yeah it's it's really really good to be here thanks for having us it's always nice you know see all lots of friendly faces which is great uh recently been traveling been to like i say been to australia but it's not really just about creating good instagram reels so that people feel jealous it is about we have launched 24 7 prayer australia which is really really exciting and uh it's a it's a growing kind of concern out there so we're really we're just excited so but someone that's my role in case you didn't know I, I I look after our national leaders around the world so we have 17 national leaders from Iran Australia you know uh, Canada Peru lots of different places and so my job is to go to encourage to help to strengthen to make sure they have all the right structures in place and to help people do what they do so uh, it's, a, it's a privilege and a joy to travel and to see that one of the things that I uh, this week I was in Vienna this week so just and I, we haven't told anybody else this but and that will all be announced in April but I'm just giving you a sneak preview you really uh, so, because we don't like, don't put it online or anything, but uh, yeah. And so, but what's really exciting, what I'm seeing right now when I travel, I was in the USA at the beginning of the year, lots of different places. I don't want to like flex with name dropping of places I've been to visit, but like lots of different places in the last year. And there, I think there is a real growing sense of, Listen, we, we, we have all the structures, we have all the good ideas, we know, we know what to do, we know how to do it, we can Google the best way to lead church, we can download great sermon notes, we can access Bible study equipment, we can do lots and lots of different things. But I, I, unless we have an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives and on the church, we're not going to see anything. I think it was a guy, well, I know it was a guy called R.T. Kendall who said that the church could do about 90% of what it does without the Holy Spirit, which is, which is fascinating because what happens is we end up operating out of uh, self and out of the what's always gone before and we become a little bit like we know how to do this. I know how to do church. It's pretty easy. You just rock up on a Sunday, you know, you make a few small groups, you sort of a few pastoral structures. It's easy to do, but we're, we're, we're not as interruptible as we used to be. The Holy Spirit is, I believe, the great interrupter. You know, when Peter and John are going up to Gate Beautiful in Acts 4, they've walked by that cripple many times. Many times. I don't think you say cripple, so that's not the word, is it? That's what it says in the Bible, but a lame man. And uh, as they walk by him, this time the Holy Spirit interrupts and says, you know, stop and talk. And when you look throughout the, 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 the early movement of the church, you see it's that it is an interrupting spirit that happens, that the Holy Spirit keeps coming 
And you know, the, the, the spirit that was poured out on Pentecost is poured out again in Acts 4. You know, it's the same spirit time and time again. So we see that they are completely and absolutely reliant on the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And if, if, you know, if we're not careful, we can, church can sometimes be a little bit more like a McDonald's franchise. You know, if you just do A, B, C, and D, you're going to have F, you know, forget about E. But, you know, so, but, you know, you're going to have all those, I could just see my wife thinking, he didn't say the proper alphabet. But, uh, so, you know, so, but if we do all these things, this is what we're going to have. And, and we end up almost, as it were, becoming frightened to do new things. And we become so, we look around at what everybody else is doing. And actually, the, the internet being a wonderful thing is also a dreadful thing because we end up in a comparison kind of vibe or we end up looking at what other people are doing. Think we must do what they're doing. And we stop looking at God. And we, and we stop, you know, relying on his spirit to continually and consistently break in, prompt us and lead us. And so when we see the, the, the spirit of God moving, that's incredibly important. And, and I guess you've, you've been doing this teaching for a while on the Holy Spirit and you all know that it's not a force. It's a, the Holy Spirit is a person that's the person of the Holy Spirit. So I, I listened to some talk and someone kept saying it, it about the Holy Spirit. It's, it's he. Actually, the Bishop of London, I, I don't know, sometimes refers to the Holy Spirit as she, but that's a whole other, uh, talk that the next person can do who's coming along you know so there's that sense in which the the holy spirit is 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 hovering over the church right now we're seeing really exciting things happen like in new york or in i don't know if anyone has seen the stuff that's happening in asbury in, in the u.s god is doing something that's really interesting i have i know a number of people who have been there to this there's a basically a load of young people in a church in in a, in a chapel in a university in america and all of a sudden it felt like god was pouring out his spirit and there's just this this response to the move of God and it's growing and, and so so there's there's all this stuff happening around the world where, where, where God is pouring out his spirit God is doing something new and God is doing something different and I'm kind of excited but then at the same time I'm uh, I grew up in Pentecostal church. I went to the church down the road here, TCF, and I've been around this kind of Holy Spirit talk loads, you know, and, and so, and I just want us to think about that. Uh, I want us to think about what it, what it would be like to allow the Holy Spirit to move, but what are the, the handbrakes of the Holy Spirit? What are the things that, that sometimes stop us from stepping into all that God has has for us, that stop us from being real and true apprentices of Jesus, that stop us from actually growing in our faith and growing in the, 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 the idea that the Holy Spirit is still active and living and wants to move and shape us. So uh, that's what I'm going to look at, is little handbrakes to the Holy Spirit. It's kind of an interesting phrase, but uh, just hang on, Christy. <laughs> Heck. He was taking a photo, sorry. Just, uh, happens to me a lot, you know. So, no, don't, don't. So, so we've got this situation of that, that the Holy Spirit is moving, I think, around the world in a greater way than ever before. There's a lot of really exciting things happening, but there are handbrakes that we apply in our own lives that stop the Holy Spirit from moving. And so uh, everyone else gets a really positive one, but I get this one about like, what are, the, what are the handbrakes of the Holy Spirit? What could stop God moving? And I think what we have to understand in that is that God's primary expression towards each one of us is a smile. He does love us. He does want to bless us, that, the, that he, is, he can break in anywhere and he can do anything. So the, the handbrakes are things that we apply. It's not God. It's not God saying, I'm not coming. God, and God actually, despite some of the things we do, still comes and breaks in. So God is a God of grace. You know, it's not like get all these things in line and then I'll show up. No, God shows up. God showed up to me when I was in prison. You know, he didn't wait until Brian get it all sorted out and then I'm going to show up by my spirit and bring you peace. No, he came in and brought peace. But there are things in our own lives that can sometimes hinder us and stop us from moving forward. Handbrakes that we apply. In fact, if I, I like handbrakes, but I guess in many ways, uh, because handbrakes isn't in the Bible, <laughs> you know, it didn't exist back then. Uh, the, a better phrase for me would be strongholds. 
We have these strongholds, these things that get a strong hold of our life and stop us from moving forward in the things of the Spirit. And, and I wanted to explore that. But first, it says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 6, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So in many ways, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about the idea that we we need there are strongholds in our lives that need to be demolished. There are, there are handbrakes, things that have got strong hold of us that need to be demolished. And I guess just to explain that, what is a stronghold? Well, a stronghold gets, it, it's talked about a lot in the Bible. In Judges 6 verse 2, it talks about the, the, the children of Israel, they hid themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. In 1 Samuel 23 verse 14, David stayed in desert strongholds. It's basically a stronghold is an enclosed place. A kind of uh, uh, a, 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 like a fortress would be a really good word to describe it. Actually, a guy called Ralph Earle, who's a biblical scholar, he said that is the best way to describe a stronghold. Fortress, something that's built up in your life that stops you from moving forward into all that God has for you. We have these kind of fortresses. That's, that's quite a pretty one, really. But, you know, that's all I could find last night when I was trying to do that. Oh, someone wants in. Into the fortress. <laughs> Sorry. So, so, you know, so uh, in, in the old, it's like this, the fortress, I don't know if, if you've been to like the Tower of London or anywhere like that, it would be like the keep, the bit in the middle. Once that fell, the city fell. Once the fortress fell, the city fell. Once, once they defeated that, you know, the end, the, anyone could break in. So we ha- I hope you're, you're tracking with me on this. We have these areas in our lives strongholds, handbrakes, stuff that stops the Lord from moving. And I've, so I've been praying about this, thinking about it, and they mainly exist in our mind, okay? Now, now if you were to look at, say, David and Goliath, and it's 1 Samuel 17, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. If you were to look at 1 Samuel 17, that Goliath was this giant, and he was a stronghold, for instance. So he comes out every morning, he taunts the children of Israel. He says, send someone out who I can, you know, I can fight against. And they're frightened and they don't do it and they won't fight him. And, and he's, it's this giant that looms over the children of Israel. He's stopping them from moving forward. He's there and he's in their way. And so strongholds can be like that with these giants as well in our lives. These, these things that hover over us, that stop us from moving forward. And though I'm going to get to explaining some that I feel would, would help us. And, and when we see D- David comes along and he doesn't see a giant, he just sees an obstacle that God can deal with. And he, he comes against it. David, you know, he's, he, he steps up and he fights the giant in the power of God and he, he slays the giant. And so as I prayed about coming here, I think handbrakes, strongholds, this whole, I'm moving away from camera, aren't I? I need to Okay, handbrakes, strongholds, this whole thing is that sense of they are these giants that loom that stop us from being fully alive in Jesus, that stop us from fully moving into all that he has for us. They're not necessarily sinful, but they are stuff that we sometimes have just to to slay. Giants need slaying. These things need putting down. And so let's look at some of the handbrakes I think there's three things that I'd like us to think about. One is give up, get out, and give in. These are free handbrakes that we have all the time. One is just give up. Just, just stop. Just give up. The other one is just get out, escape, run away. The other is just give in. Oh, I'm just going to go with it. And so these are general handbrakes. Don't worry, I'm going to explain them a wee bit better than that. I'm not just going to leave them. That's a very loose teaching from Brian here, very charismatic. It just felt like that. Let's go now. Okay, no, but uh, the, the, the give up, the, one of the strongholds I think that we have is negative thinking. When, when I, it's that sense of uh, we're listening to a song by Elevation Worship, uh, Do It Again. You know, and it, and it goes, you know, uh, your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. Never failed me yet. 
I've seen you move, <laughs> you move the mountains, and I believe I'll see you do it again. Negative thinking would be, yeah, I'm not too sure. I'm not, I, I've had so many disappointments, I'm not too sure. I don't, I don't think he can do it. it. It's like low expectation. It's, I've been in so many of these meetings where God's shown up, and it's not really made much difference. It's, it's, it's negative. It creeps in. And the, one of the things that we need to have when we're expecting God to show up is expectancy and a sense of faith that God can do it again, that the God who moved in the past is the God who moves today. And that's some, sometimes that we have to speak to ourselves. And even the disciples, they said to Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. You know, we need more faith because negative thinking creeps in and we start to think we can't do it. Uh, we, we have low expectations. We've given up on believing. The essence of negative thinking is there is nothing you can do, so give up. Nothing you can do, just give up. Negative thinking is, is, a, is it's around us all the time. And it's a stronghold, a handbrake, that when we get into a meeting, we, we come in with all our past experience and, oh, it's never going to happen. It's not going to happen today. You know, it's negative thinking, and that's a, a handbrake. But the, 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 the way we defeat negative thinking is with faith, because it says in Hebrews 11, verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's the word of God, that he, if, if actually we, we have to believe that he will come, that he will reward us, that when we do say, we need more, when we do say, Lord, please pour out your spirit, we have to believe that he will come and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so there's, there's the bit in me is, uh, have I become negative? This has been really good to study as well, personally, because you start to think, have I become negative? And there are moments where, yeah, I have. You know, we, we, there's, there are strongholds. We're just negative. I'm not too sure it can change. Or you've been praying. It, it, it's not even just in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but you just start to think, I've been praying for someone for years and years and years, and nothing's changed, and you, it's not going to change. You get negative thinking. It, it creeps in. You know, me and Pete were talking about, talking about my dad, uh, and, what, and, you know, he, he prays for... He prayed for me for years without anything happening. You know, without anything happening, he would have come up and visited me in Chelmsford Prison and he would have thought, nothing's happening. You know, but he didn't, he, he kept going until God did something, you know, and, and it's quite easy for us to allow negative thinking to creep in and to stop. And it, it is a handbrake that we put on the Holy Spirit. This, the next one is just the, the, uh, the, the get out. <laughs> Who's seen that film? Has anyone seen Get Out? It's so good. It's funny. It's not Tracy's going, no. It don't, don't watch it. It's, it's <laughs> Tracy's my Holy Spirit at the back. She's like <laughs> prompting me and guiding me, you know, as we go through this. Sorry. But anyway, this, this, this is the next one. So the first one is like, yeah, you know, it's, it's not going to happen. The second one is this, is is the kind of get out. It's intimidating situations. Uh, can, I, can I say, by intimidating situations, do you know one of the things that will sometimes stop us from allowing the Holy Spirit to move is uh, we, have, we have seen stuff before and it frightens us. You know, it frightens us. Uh, the mishandling of the gifts of the Spirit frighten us. And we just think, I'm, 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 not, I'm getting out of here. You know, I've, I've been in meetings where a guy's jumped up next to me and he's just spoken in tongues for 22 minutes and all my friends around me have been like, ah, scary. And you're just like, you start to worry, it's going to make you look weird. And it actually intimidates you and you want to just get out, you know, and you get, you kind of get this, it creeps in, you know, uh, and, and we get, we, it, it kind of like it's fear, guys. Fear creeps in, you know, fear of what do people think of me, fear of man. Fear of what others think. But we've, we've all witnessed stuff so much that we can, just these kind of strongholds, this kind of handbrake of, of I need to get out. We don't, I'm not going to go to that meeting in case it gets weird. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's ever thought that. I, I've been to loads of meetings that have got weird, right? And sometimes I think, oh my goodness. 
you know, what do other people think? And it can, and you can start to curl up a little bit inside. But, but you know, it, 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 we do do it. We kind of, uh, we run away sometimes. We become intimidated by, dare I say, even the Spirit of God. We're, we're, we're scared because we're comfortable, you know? Or we, we, we're scared because the task seems too big, so we avoid. We, it intimidates us. Even Elijah in 1 Kings 19, you know, 3 to 4, Elijah was this great prophet. He just calls down fire from heaven. He sets a, like a, this altar on fire that's covered in water. He's, he he like has a really massively brilliant moment in front of all the children of Israel where he defeats all the prophets of Baal. It's like a major God moment, like literal fire from heaven falls. And then Jezebel, the, the queen at the time, starts breathing these threats against him, and he runs away. He goes and hides in a cave. And sometimes even at our moment of greatest breakthrough, the devil can start whispering in our ears and intimidating us, and we run away. And we want to hide, and we, we, we go away, become intimidated. It's a handbrake that stops God from moving. And so, the, the, you know, once again, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. We have to, you know, we, he, he gave us, a, a, we have, this spirit is to face these things, to not run away, to be willing to know that God isn't a God who's going to hurt you. God is a God who loves you. God is a God who smiles towards you. God is a God who, who wants to see all that is good and is beautiful, and he wants to bring you into that. So, so we need to, the get out stuff is kind of scary. And then the give in. <laughs> this is probably one we all, this, this can often stop God moving, is when we give in. We give in to temptation. We give in to sin, you know. Uh, I had the joy this week of being in the uh, Catholic Church in Vienna. So I was in, I was there on Monday and Tuesday, trying to sort out the gathering. And uh, we 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 hang out with our Catholic brothers and sisters. And one of the things that they believe in is confession. And actually, we believe in confession, by the way, as well. They just do it slightly differently. They confess to a priest. And I was talking to Maxi, one of my friends, who's a, a you know, he's a he's a Catholic. And uh, he was saying, I always like to get the, the big one out of the way, my biggest ones out of the way first. <laughs> when he, go, he literally goes to confession. But, and then he was saying to me, the problem is you get your biggest one out of the way first and you have to build up to say your biggest sin. And he says, and it's always the priest is a little bit deaf. And he always goes, sorry, I didn't quite hear that. Could you, <laughs> could you, could you repeat it? You know? And then he's like, and you've got to say it all again, you know, but a little bit louder, a little bit louder. Yeah, and there's that, <laughs> and so, but but there is something about like that, that we're all tempted, and we all give in to sin from time to time. But the way to deal with it is to confess it both to God and to one another. Uh, you know, in Genesis, it just like temptation can sometimes look like God sent it. Can I just say that? It does. Like the Genesis 3, verse 1, that a serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You know, so it's, it's almost like, oh, yeah, he's put the tree there. Oh, it must be okay. Or Jonah, when he's running away from God in, in the book of Jonah, he wanted to go to Tarshish to get away. And it so happens there's a boat there that's going to Tarshish. So he's like, oh, that must be God. But it's not, it's not, you know. <laughs> David saw a beautiful woman bathing on the rooftop and her husband happened to be away. Oh, must be okay then. No, 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 it's not. <laughs> James says this in James 1 verse 13. When tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. Temptation always poses as too great to resist. Temptation always poses as too great to resist. But Paul says, no temptation has seized you, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And temptation is where we decide to give in. I'm just going to give in to it. And sin is when we've given in. 
And, you know, to deal with that stuff, we, I guess there's a number of things that need to happen there. One is, the con is confession, the other is accountability. Is that who do we talk to whenever we're feeling tempted? Who do we chat to? Who prays with us? Who carries us through that? Who helps us whenever we're at our lowest edge? You know, what, 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 who are the people that we gather around that help us from giving in? You know, I, I don't know about you, but there's temptation all around. So easy to give in to sin. So easy to be tempted by so much stuff, especially in Essex where there's loads of stuff. You know, and it's not just, it's, it, it's, it's easy to give in. And it's in that where we can end up uh, just putting a little bit of handbrake on the Holy Spirit moving. We can stop. So if we, if we do that, it's just worth us thinking about giving up, getting out, giving in. Where, are you, where have you given up? You know, what have, where have you allowed negative thinking to come in? Where are you getting out? Where do you just want to get away? And where are you giving in? What are you giving in to? And so these were the three kind of, I would say, general handbrakes that everybody has, okay? That when it comes to, you know, and you'll find some of this in lots of different books. Simon Ponsby's book on more on the Holy Spirit is a really good book. R.T. Kendall talks about strongholds in one of his books on theology. Uh, I can't remember which is three volumes, but it's, it's there. And it talk, he talks about strongholds in a much more deep way than I've just done. I've used some of their stuff here. Uh, but then there's the more specific strongholds. And so they're the ones where I then had to get in touch with the Holy Spirit and say, God, are there, are there some specific strongholds that maybe are applicable to us? These are for us all, but I was just thinking about these. So these are the three that I just want to talk about specific handbrakes <laughs> that can stop God and that can hinder us in our growth. One is damaged emotions. I don't know about you, but we're all in the past probably had our emotions slightly damaged. Uh, I, you know what? As a dad, I do worry that one day my son's going to end up on a couch somewhere saying, oh, when my dad said this, or when my dad said that. Uh, do you know I remember saying to my dad once, do you remember when you said this to me when I was a big thing? I went, do you remember when you, when I, when you said this to me when I was little? And I was like, I wanted to, you know, to get a moment of healing. And he went, can't remember that. <laughs> he just could not remember it. Or maybe he was, no, no, he definitely couldn't remember it. But we all have these things that happen to us. We are impacted by our parents, our relatives, our authority figures, teachers, church leaders of our children. <laughs> These things can sometimes leave scars on us. They can damage our emotions. And so then we get into a situation where this loving Father God wants to show up and pour out his spirit upon us. And our damaged emotions can sometimes hold us back. <laughs> we, you know, and so we end up with this kind of sense of, I don't really trust you, God. I don't really trust you. Because in the past, people have let me down. And I'm worried that you may let me down. In the past, the authority figures in my life have not handled me well. In fact, it's not been good. And you are now saying that you are the Lord of my life, the ultimate authority. You want me to open up to your spirit. These damaged emotions can stop us from allowing him to come in because we don't quite trust him. And so even when we boil it down and we lie down and we talk to him and say, God, I really do trust you, but, but, I trust you, but. This happened to me in the past. This is the, the and I don't, I don't know about you, but we all have this stuff that damages our, we, I'm not trying to put my own angst on you. I'm just, it, it happens. It, it just happens. And we can, then we pop it onto God. And most of us make God look like our, you know, we all have our own God. We all have our own Jesus in many ways, you know. We kind of put our own lens on him. We, or, you know, we, 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 there are bits about God that we like and bits about, you know, we kind of project a lot of our own stuff. When I'm in prison, you know, talking to the, to the guys in prison, a lot of them, they've had such bad uh, relationships with their father that the idea of relating to God as a father is really, really difficult because most of their fathers were absent. 
You know, so then the Father God, well, is he just going to leave me? You know, so, so we have these damaged emotions. And the, 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 I guess the, the key to dealing with damaged emotions, a number of keys. One is get some good counseling. You know, I do believe in that. So at the minute, I'm, I'm seeing a counselor at the minute because I've like, had a really difficult couple of years with lots of things happening in 24-7 prayer and all of that sort of stuff. And, and I just, I just want to say, you know, let's not be like, I don't believe in counseling. You know, or let's not say, I don't believe. If you've got mental health problems, I don't believe in taking mental health drugs because, like, you know, it's like it's just demons. You know, it actually, you know, if, if I, when I hurt my knee, I take a tablet, Okay. No one says, no one bats an eyelid if I break an arm. But if you get something broken up here, everyone's like, and you know, churches have been a little bit guilty of, oh, don't take the tablets. They're there to help you f- to fix you. They're not there to like be, make you some sort of dependent zombie. But that's not what doctors do. They're there to try and help. And so we've got to get away from this kind of like, oh, you know, mental stuff is, sometimes it's medical and it, it, it can be helped. Sometimes it's counseling and sometimes, and, you know, and all of that with the aid of the Holy Spirit, with God showing up and God moving. So I, I believe in that, but the, we have to look at our damaged emotions. What's stopping you from moving on in God? What's stopping you from allowing him in, from letting him in? Trust in the Lord, it says in Proverbs. Three, five to six, trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's a hard thing to do, but I, I believe if we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to move, we have to trust in the Lord with all our hearts that, you know, despite our damaged emotions, that God is not going to, he's, he's not a mercenary. He's not going to chew us up and spit us out. He's not going to abandon us and leave us. He's not going to hurt us and harm us. He's not going to speak negative things over us. He is a God that we can trust. And so when we trust him, you know, it's important. And then another one that I, I mean, some of this stuff, it's not rocket science, guys. And, you know, anyone who's been around long enough is going to know this, but an unforgiving spirit. Sometimes... It says in Matthew, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. How heavy is that? This is the words of Jesus. So I, I'm going to tell you a story. When I was young, uh, when you, I went to Quarry Hill Junior Schools in, in Grays, and uh, my, my mother passed away in 1981, and uh, we had two weeks off school. And so, to, you know, because you had to get over it, they give you two weeks. Went back to school, and, and the headmaster gave me a custard cream and a glass of orange squash and asked me if I was okay, and I went, yeah, I'm fine. So that was counselling back in 81. So that was, that was that out of the way, right? You had your two weeks off. The PTA from the school came around and dropped off some quality street, so that was the, they did their bit. And uh, anyway, do I sound bitter? I do a bit, but no, I'm just, I just, it just makes me laugh at the kind of how, how we used to deal with things. So this is a long time ago, so don't worry. Uh, it's 42 years ago. So I, I, go, to, I go, go to school, and this guy comes up to me, and he goes, he goes, uh, how's your mum, Brian? Kids are like that, right? So I was, you know, we're talking, I was 11. How's your mum, Brian? So I remember ch- running after him, and my friend holding him, and I just punched him. Right, and then I punched him again. And then the headmaster came and ordered that. And they, they said, oh, he was a naughty boy. And they validated my violence, by the way. They didn't say that was wrong. It was an interesting concept. Uh, you know, and all of, that, all of that. And so, and this guy, I was just really angry with and all of that. Then I had a subsequent difficult decade. Let's call it a decade. You know, I, I was in church, but I was bouncing around. I was mentally all over the show. I would, I'd run away from home. I would, you know, in and out of prison for stupid things, you know, all sorts of different stuff. And when I moved, eventually I gave my life back to Jesus, and I moved to Dis in Norfolk. It's 10 years after I'd hit this guy. And we were in a, and these two men, uh, Alaric and David, friends of mine, they said, Brian, we'd just love to pray for you, see if there's any stuff in your life that's unresolved or, you know, you'd like to... And so we're, they just, they just, we're just going through a few things, chatting with me, talking, praying. It was really lovely. I felt very listened to, you know, all of that. And they went, and we got onto this incident that happened at school 11, you know, 10 years prior. And they said to me, have you ever forgiven him? 
for saying, how's your mum, Brian? And I was like, no, never. And then I said, Brian, as, even when you said that, you've started backing away, literally, physically. I was backing away like this in the room. And they said, there's something there, and you need to forgive him. And so I was like, okay, so, you know, it was a bit of a struggle. <laughs> but, I mean, it wasn't. And, and, and as I started to say, I forgive you, and, and I mentioned his name and, you know, went through this whole, like, I forgive you and prayed blessing over him and all that, something, I just doubled up. And it was almost like I was just shrieking and crying and something broke inside me. Now, one of my biggest problems was I had a bad temper. You know, I'd get angry at the flick of a switch. You know, it was really a bit of a Heasley trait. But in general, it was, this was a bit deeper and darker than that. It would be, you know, and as this, as I prayed, I just felt all of that go. It, it flowed out of me. And, and it, you know, it was like someone cut off the root of a tree. You know, and it took a while for it all to die fully, but it was at that moment something died in me as I forgave this guy from 10 years ago. And now, I don't think you need to go raking around the ashes of your past looking for someone to forgive. But if, as I speak, something pops up in your mind and think, you know what, I've never forgiven him. I've never forgiven her. What they said to me was hurtful and painful. And you've almost in your mind, you want to have that, that, that dramatic confrontation where you can talk to them and say, this is what you did and this is what you, how you hurt me. And you may never get that. But something inside you as a Christian is you have to forgive them. Because it says, you know, in, in Matthew, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, I am not saying for one minute that that is easy. But it's worth thinking about because it sometimes is a really large handbrake to God moving in your life, an unforgiving spirit. In fact, some, I, I was reading this, uh, R.T. Kendall says, some of the results of not forgiving others are self-righteousness or an unforgiving spirit, fear, anger, irritability, physical, emotional weakness, and he goes on to unpack all of that. But unforgiveness can really do something in us. And it's just worth thinking about. You know, am I living a forgiven life? Because we, you know, I was listening to a guy called uh, Michael Ramsden. He's a, like a professor. And he said one of, the, the best, one of the biggest phrases in the next 10 years is going to be this, I'm offended. I'm offended. And I don't know, you see a lot, don't you? I'm offended. And if we're there for Romans 12, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. If we want to buy into the pattern of this world and be like the rest of the world, we can run around going, I'm offended. You've offended me. You know, you upset me. What you said, when actually we're meant to be forgiving, forgiving. That we forgive it when we forgive people when they say negative things about us. We forgive people when they hurt us. We forgive even when we, they, even when they don't, you know, Deserve it. Because isn't that what happened to us? You know, we have to remember that one of the basics of our faith is forgiveness, especially in a world that's not forgiving. You only need to spend a little bit of time online, <laughs> which I'm sure some of you may have done, and you will notice it's not a very forgiving world out there. Everybody wants their pound of flesh. Everybody wants to punish someone. Everybody wants their, their you know, to, you know, if, if things aren't going well, I'll, you know, next minute I'm tweeting House of Fraser because I was waiting too long. And you're just mentioning, oh, disgusting service from House of Fraser. I've been waiting 10 days for my refund. You know, whatever. That's the way it goes these days, isn't it? We're, we're not very forgiving. And it creeps in. And so it could be a major handbrake to the Holy Spirit to forgive and jealousy, my final one. I, I just was thinking, praying about this. And <laughs> jealousy is easy to see in others, but hard to see in ourselves. Jealousy is easy to see in others, but hard to see in ourselves. It makes us critical of others. When we're jealous of people, we pull them down. We're critical, especially those we don't like. <laughs> it makes us gossip. When we're jealous, we'll gossip about people, and we kind of like to do it. It can, in the end, make us vindictive, just not very pleasant people. And so jealousy creeps in when we start. I think it was uh, Eugene Peterson who said, coveting is fantasizing about a life other than the one you're already living. 
And we don't talk about coveting much, do we? You know, it's a, one of the Ten Commandments, so God kind of wanted quite a bit. It's that kind of like you shall not, that's probably because none of us own an ox. You know, it says you shall not covet your neighbor's ox. But <laughs> I don't know about you, coveting, getting jealous of what other people have got, it's so easy, isn't it? It's, I, I'm, 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 I don't know how we get through life without doing it so much, but this, this, I'm just going to take you through a little thing that happens to me. So I, I like motor cars. I haven't got a very nice, I've got a nice little BMW, right? It's great. But when I'm driving along, am I happy with my nice little BMW? No. Because there's a nicer BMW just driving by me. Do you know what I mean? Mine's just like t- nearly 10 years old, so just don't, don't think 24-7 prayer like throwing the money at me. But, uh, but you know, so w- whatever we've got, you can look over and someone else has got one that's better, you know? We were looking yesterday, Tracy and I were looking at watches because <laughs> we were looking at watches because we, we, Tracy was eating a sausage roll and we couldn't go into the shop until she'd finished. So we just thought, let's look at these watches. Uh, this is random, too much detail. Anyway, and there was one, there was these Hublot watches and they were like four grand, six grand, eight grand. 87. So you could buy yourself like an eight grand one, but sooner or later you'd be wanting the 16 grand one. And before you know it, you want the 87 grand. I'm just saying. And it creeps in and it's part of our culture. You know, that we're, 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 we're almost like, uh, we're almost in, in, in this world where we're just, we're never happy. They, they want us constantly discombobulated, like unhappy with what we've got, a little bit off, you know, off kilter a little bit. You know, you, you won't be happy until, until you have this, until you have that, until you... And you, believe me, it, it never comes, and it, it, can, it births in us a kind of jealousy. You know, we're jealous of other people, what they have. It's not even just material things. I remember once when I was, when we moved to Ibiza, a guy sat me down and he went, he went... I guess it's okay for you, Brian. You've got everything I ever wanted. And what's that? He said, well, you know, you're going to lead a ministry. You're, you're going to write a book. And he, it was jealous. It was, it was a pretty nasty little conversation, but I've forgiven him. <laughs> but but do, 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 can I just, you know, do you know what I mean? It, it's not just about the physical things. We can be jealous of position. We can be jealous of what other people have. I, you know, we can, and sometimes it's, it's damaged jealousy. I remember young, you'd walk along and you'd see like kind of well-balanced families. I'm not saying mine isn't, but you'd look and you'd see, uh, seemingly they'd look well-balanced. Everyone's family looks well-balanced from a distance. And, 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 you'd, and you'd, you'd almost get jealous of wanting what they, do you know what I mean? You'd want what they had. So, so it kind of, we, we, it's not just the hublot watches, it's position, it's all sorts of things. It creeps in. And Paul talks about this. In, it's interesting. We don't think of it, but Paul mentions jealousy quite a lot. In 1 Corinthians 3, 2 to 4, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you, were still, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Wow. It's, it's a, jealousy is, is a word. It's a handbrake. It stops God moving because we're never quite content. I mean, the, the, the obvious uh, an, anecdote to antidote, anecdote, antidote, antidote, not anecdote, antidote to jealousy. Anecdote is just like a funny story. The obvious funny story to the obvious antidote to jealousy is contentment. And when we live a life full of the Holy Spirit, we learn to be content. And Paul said, I am content, you know, when I've got plenty, when I've got, you know, it's contentment. It's being content with the seat that you have on the plane. It's being content with where you are right now. It's, it's, I sometimes think we have to worry, we worry a little bit about contentment. It doesn't mean you can't be ambitious and you can't want to grow in your career and develop your life and learn more and earn more. That's not what I mean, but it's a state of mind and a state of heart. And if we're not content, we end up allowing jealousy to creep in and we, we become discontent, unhappy with that's what a, that is around us. And, and these are specific handbrakes. I just think they're worth thinking about. So that's my... Uh, I've gone on, but that's my teaching for you today. One, I, do we do groups now? So I'd like us to talk about these three. Is that okay? I, I, don't, I don't know how deep you want to go, guys. 
But I'd like us to talk about these. And just, you know, the, the idea really is saying to yourself, can you, can, you don't have to confess, okay, damaged emotions, an unforgiving spirit. But let's just talk together about these three different specific handbrakes. And there may be, it might be you just want to talk about the general ones. But I think these are the three that could stop the Holy Spirit really moving amongst you as a community. That God is, God is up to something and he wants to come and he wants to just bring some healing, do some good things in our lives around our damaged emotions and help us with forgiveness and bring us to a place of contentment in order that we would grow and affect those around us. So I don't know how you do that, Christy, but... Yeah, so if you could break into groups where you are and just have, have, have a discussion about this stuff, that'd be great, yeah? Is that cool? Is that right? Yeah. Okay, we're going to come back together. I'm going to say I'm sure you've got questions, and that's not a slight on Brian's teaching, being unclear. It's just this stuff really is searching for us. I know um, Debbie on Zoom was saying... On Zoom, sorry, not... Debbie on the Zoom. She is, she is very grateful for your teaching, Brian. She says really uh, speaking to her this morning uh, where she's at. So thank you. Um, so yeah, I don't know if people have got questions. I certainly have. Okay, my, I've got a question about um, obviously the story on you forgiving this lad from school is really powerful, very moving. Um, and, and you had two people there to like spot that in you and to help you bring that out. And, and probably what we want sometimes, like you said, when we've got, you know, unforgiveness against people is to like pin them up against the wall and say, hey, you did this to me and it really hurt me. When you can't do that or when maybe you shouldn't even do that at all, what, what do you think are the first steps for like really identifying unforgiveness in, in your heart or, or, or when, when, you, when you think there might be something and you're just like, how, how do you actually go about doing that? Is it as simple as saying, Jesus, I forgive this person, amen? No. <laughs> but, but, but it is and it isn't. On, on, at a, at, on a head level, it's easy to say, I forgive this person. On a heart level, it's always harder. And so the way that, the way that I've found with that specific case and since for forgiving people is you have to start praying blessing over them. So if you pray blessing over someone for a couple of months, you find it quite hard to not forgive them. You know, if you say, God, I, I want you to bless them, God, I want you to show up in their life. I, don't, don't, it's not like, God, I want you to show them what they did to me so they come and l- <laughs> weep at my feet. But, you know, it's actually just, it's actually praying. So the forgiving is the head part, but I think the, the, the breakthrough almost comes in the, uh, in the praying of blessing over the person. So for me, that's, that's yeah, that, that would be a good key for moving forward with that. Because I think, and, and the noticing of it in, in your life as well, it's don't go looking for it, but if the person keeps coming up, and if you start thinking, I, I, have, a, I have an issue, you know. I think for all of these, Christy, as well, the, the big thing for me is discernment. You know, if, if like, it's, it's been able to sniff it out, if it's in you or it's a... So I had a, another little, just really brief story where I, when I was saying this stuff about forgiveness, I, I was, uh, a, a couple of years ago at Christmas, I was thinking about a time when I shouted at Dan in Ibiza and we had a big argument and I was tired and grumpy and he ran off up the street and, and it just came to my mind. So, and I'm like, this is weird. You know, it was a, parents have arguments with their children. Okay, it happens, all right? It's not the end of the world. And I remember going upstairs into his bedroom saying, Dan, do you remember that time when I did this? And he started to cry. And I, I just want you to know I'm really, really sorry. So it obviously, it, you know, it, it works both, you know, it was, you've got to just be sensitive to the spirit and, and discern this stuff. So that was, an, that was an incident where I had been the nasty dad. Do you know what I mean? And upset him. And, but there's, so it's, it's allowing, when you're thinking, you, you have to ask yourself sometimes, why am I thinking about this stuff? When stuff pops into your head, is it just I've had too much cheese, drank too much wine, you know, or am I just allowing my mind to wander, or is God speaking to me? And, and so that's discernment for me, which is really important. Really good. really good, thank you. Does anyone else have any questions? What is the difference between humility and unworthiness? <laughs> <laughs> I 
Where, where's that on my talk? <laughs> Where does that come from? No. Oh, so in, in life, forgive I think, no, if I, was, if I was sharper, as C.S. Lewis makes a really beautiful quote on humility, but I can't remember it for the life of me. So I'd want to... I'd wanna... In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes... Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Back to Brian. Well, what's the difference between humility and... I think the, the, thing, about the, yeah, the thing about humility is for goodness sake. No, it says in the Bible, it says humble yourself. Okay, so humility is, is a, a process that one goes on themselves. We learn to humble ourselves. It's not our jobs, not my job to humble Christy. You know, it's not my job to, to go and pull someone down. You know, or to, we, in some countries, they have what they call a tall poppy syndrome. The minute anyone's doing something well, we try and pull them down. You know? So, you, gotta, so that you humble yourself. I'm not here to humble you. And so I think it is, it, it, so when it comes to unworthiness, it's, it's the voice speaking into you that says you're not worthy. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it, it's, there's, you, if people really knew what you were like, I don't know if you have that. You know, if people really knew what I was like inside, what would they do? And that's the unworthy part. I had that with the Archbishop of Canterbury. We, were, we had a walk in a garden, and I said to him, what was it? I said, I said, I feel like I'm an imposter. And he looked at me. So we were walking around his garden, and he went, so do I. I was like, oh, for goodness sake. You know what I mean? I like, he hasn't helped me at all here, has he? So, you know, but it, so he said, I, I feel like, I'm an imposter too sometimes and we have, to really, we have to accept our place in the story and not listen to the other voices so I think unworthiness is a voice that's not your own and it's a voice that's not God's you know I think you have to counteract that with a, a re- I, I reckon most Christians should memorize Psalm 139 you know and they should memorize John 3 16 and just as you memorizing scripture I'm sorry that could be a bugbear of mine but I think we don't allow the word we have to hide the word of God in our hearts Sometimes we hide it on our iPhones. It says, I've hidden your word in my heart, so that when these voices come that speak negativity, we have other voices. We have the voice of God in our heads that says, you know, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have the other voice, if God is for us, who can be against us? You know, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. These are all Bible verses, not just quotes or slogans. And you get them in you, and then when these voices come, you quote them. You, you bring them back. You allow the Holy Spirit to let them bubble up, and they, they, they fight that unworthiness one. So, yeah. Oh, Holly. That's really, really good. I think it's accepting your place in the story that God has for your life and knowing who contentment also helps with humility. So, yeah. Yeah. Balancing content and maybe like holy discontent. <laughs> I think you've hit it on the head there, really. It's balancing. No, No, do you know what? I think we're on this. We're always on a. I am now fifty-three years old, which isn't old, but it's not young, and I've realised that you, it's a battle that you are, there are moments where I'm more content than others, you know, and there, I have to constantly fight it in myself that I was sort of, I alluded to it even, I, I have a, I have a little, I have a, a privilege, I have a card when I fly, right, it gets me into lounges, and, and when we were coming back from Australia, they wouldn't let Tracy in, because he hasn't got a card, I got so angry, but it's me and my sense of privilege that I have to fight sometimes, you know what I mean? And there's lots of other people that don't get into lounges, and I don't know, it's, it's, it's a, and I'm thinking, Brian, when did you become like that? When did you become that guy? You used to sleep in a car, you know, now you're getting annoyed about not getting in a lounge, you know? So, so it's, I think it's an, and I think it keeps coming, you know, it, it, you're, the, the battle, to, because the, the, I think the accuser always wants us to not be content, you know, and culture always wants us not to be content. So it's, it's an awareness that it keeps coming. It keeps coming, you know. And so it's just yeah. a... I've got one more question for Brian that is from your teaching as well, so it would be helpful. Um, we got... <laughs> I know you talked about in, in Get Out, right, when we talked about Get Out, intimidate, intimidating situations, yeah. and sometimes also being intimidated by even what God has for us. Yeah. Um, and I know actually you've come before and spoken to us about the weight and the glory of God and how that's like you know, that real word of weight. And that can be, I, I'm sure, I actually think, I think I've 
had moments where I've felt intimidated by it. Like if I say yes to this, then God's going to do something. And I don't know if I'm ready to face that. Or I don't know if I'm brave enough to, to face that. Can you just talk a little bit more about that, about the, the intimidated by what God has for us and how we can get over that? No, that's good. And that is a really good one because I, I was talking to Jill Weber about this and we were talking because we, we were just chatting about like it's harder to go in your 50s than it is in your 30s. It's harder to step into new things when you're 50 than it is when you're 30. You know, so, so there's that, that sense of, uh, it's, it's a, once again, a battle. You know? But I think there's a, the, the line that we have always used, Tracy and I have always used, is that God is not a mercenary. So when God puts something before you, it tends to be that it will grow you and it will make you better. Now, God isn't, God isn't super concerned about your comfort on many levels. Do you know what I mean? He is, but he's, he's concerned about, about who you're becoming. He's concerned about, you know, so when we went to Ibiza, for instance, we didn't speak Spanish. I wasn't really into club culture. You know, it just wasn't, it wasn't a thing, right? But we, and so because Tracy had lived in, not, she had worked in Zambia for seven or eight months, we had a charity at the church that was, in, that was working in Kenya and Uganda. When we said to the Lord, you know, Tracy's sister had worked in an orphanage in India. So when we said to the Lord, listen, we'd love to travel and whatever you want us to do, we'll do. We just naturally assumed we'd go to Africa and work in an orphanage. It's just what we thought. You know, it's just the way you just kind of, that was what people did when they went overseas and did mission. And we were really up for that. And when God actually said Ibiza, we were like, oh my goodness, this is like, yeah, it was scary. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of quite scary because I I'm, I'm genuinely don't like club culture. I don't like dance music. I, I've grown to like it. And I'm not particularly good at languages. When you're in Africa, you can just speak English. You know, seriously, it's not, it's not good. But it's whereas in Spain. So anyway, all of that going on. And we, we just decided that you have to step in. God always responds to movement. God, when, the, when the children of Israel get to the, the Jordan, it's, they have this, it's in flood and it says they step in and then it, the waters part as they step in. I believe that God, you know, because we live by faith, not by sight, and we always want a bit of sight. So when we stepped into beef, it actually became the most life-giving thing we ever did. And it was one of the, it was a beautiful thing for us both, although it was not something we would have ever written down in a kind of, you know, when, when I'm 35, I want to take my children and move to a Spanish island. It just wasn't in the remit. You know, and but but I think it's it's understanding that God's not a mercenary, and that when God asks you to step in, it'll probably be something that grows you and develops you, and is good for you. You know, so it's trusting your Father, trusting your Father. Every good and perfect gift, it says in James, comes from the Father of lights, comes from above. So it's it's trust, which is a which is a biggie. We're often asked, sorry, we're often asked to go and speak to like eighteen to twenty-one year olds about Ibiza. We were thirty-five and thirty-seven. When we, when, and so it's a, it's, a, it's a biggie. So, you know, it's not, God's, not, God's not done with you. You know, when it's, God doesn't only just call young people. We weren't old, but we weren't young, you know. So I, I think it's, it's trust. You know, it's all a, was it Helen Keller who said, life is either a daring adventure or nothing? I quite like that, <laughs> isn't it? And she, she also said, like, security is a myth that exists in the eyes of man. You know, we're never going to feel so, super secure. Because we just have to trust that God's got us. You know, it's, if we, anyway, sorry, I could go on. No, that's good. That's brilliant. All right, well, thank you so much, Brian, for traveling to be with us today. Um, thank you, everyone. I hope your discussion was good, and I would really encourage you. Obviously, this, you know, these topics are not something, I'm waving this around. I'm so aware that it's just like <laughs> covered in sick, and I'm just like, so gross, isn't it? Right, put that down. It's like really distracting me. Right, these topics are not something that you're going to have just like hashed out, you know, based on who you were sitting next to today. You know, be really aware of that. And, and I'm sure if you've started thinking about some of these things, you're going to take them home. So be really aware of that and, and care for one another. Check in with one another. Maybe ask someone to pray for you about these things. You could do that today. You could do that another day. You could do that in your house church this week. But just if these things are staying on your mind, be aware that they're staying on your mind and, and do something about them. You know, invite God into it. We're here. This is part of our Holy Spirit sessions. The Holy Spirit is with you and you can give these things to God wherever you are. Say, God, I give you my 
I'd give you my damaged emotions, trusting that you can mend my heart. I give you my unforgiveness, knowing that you've forgiven me everything. God, I give you my jealousy, knowing that I can be find contentment in who you are, that you are enough for me. You know, these are real truths. And this is why Brian's brought this to us today. So if something's on your mind, something's playing on your heart, don't let go of it today. Hold on to it a little longer and say, God, what are you saying to me through this? What can I do? And maybe ask someone to pray with you. I would really encourage that. If you want to ask me to pray for you, but I'm not a counselor. I can only do some of the work. God will do a lot of the work. Maybe someone else can do some work too. Be aware of that too. Okay, great. Thank you again, Brian. We'll be back for Holy Spirit uh, sessions in April with Richard and Katie Smith. So it'd be great to have them back and be with us again. Thanks, everyone. (laughs) 